Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today we are going to take a look at Lent and what it is all about and how we at Four Peaks Christian Church will use and observe this dedicated time of remembrance. We will also briefly look at why we as a church will observe this season and other days of remembrance and occasions throughout the church year. So if you are familiar with Lent and the various traditions surrounding it, I encourage you to continue to listen as you may very well find out some interesting aspects of why we observe this as a church. And in like manner, if you are unfamiliar with Lent, then I too highly encourage you to follow along and take this opportunity to learn more on how you can devote some of your time with the Lord each day and with a purpose. For many of us, me included, it is often difficult to remain disciplined and dedicated to something if we do not have a goal or destination. Oftentimes when we are told to read God's Word and pray and go to church, observe times like Lent, etc., it's hard to stick with it because if we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel or get something from the effort we put into it, we very often tend to give up on it. And God's Word gets forgotten, the Bible gets dusty, and we only pray once in a while, and that primarily when we want something. And we just go about our day-to-day activities without giving too much thought to God. So let's start by taking a very brief look at the what and why the church observes various days and weeks throughout the year and marks them as special occasions. And we are also going to very briefly discuss some of the churchy lingo that often goes along with these times of remembrance as well. First off, I will be using phraseology that may be painfully familiar to some of you. And I say painfully familiar because many of these words are frequently associated with a bygone era of endless ritual and meaningless chatter, something done just for the sake of doing it with no understanding of the end result. As I mentioned, you will hear me engage in phraseology that will include words such as liturgy, liturgical, creed, benevolence, benediction. And on top of all that, you will hear about the days we will observe as a church, such as Lent, Epiphany, Transfiguration, Ascension, and Reformation Sundays, to name a few of the ones that may be unfamiliar to you. However, just because they may be unfamiliar or sound very out of date and nothing that could have any relevance in today's society, and it's only for 90-year-old, overtly religious people that have no life, or perhaps all I have mentioned is bringing back hideous memories from childhood, I beg you to keep up with me to the end as you, again, might discover something you never heard before. So first off, all the words I have used here are words and days of observance that do have an out-of-date ring to them. Don't forget, however, that most every word we use to communicate all day long are words that are ancient. After all, the English language is roughly 1,400 years old, but we still use hundreds of these 1,400-year-old words every day and all throughout our lives without thinking anything of them. And that is because there is purpose and meaning behind them. We fully understand what their purpose is and what the words can do, and that is a significant reason why we are okay with our very old language. So let's go head first into this. What exactly is liturgy and liturgical? And it is defined as how a church service is conducted. That's it. No more, no less. It's just a name for how a church service functions when people show up for worship. So the word liturgical or liturgy is just another word for what's going to happen and when. Quick interjection here. Why would I use these words if they carry no significant meaning? 
because there are a lot of different words that communicate the same thing, and sometimes it's, for nothing else, enjoyable to use particular words for particular things. And I happen to really appreciate church history and enjoy aspects of carrying on some tradition, so long as it does not interfere with the work at hand. So prior to where we left off, I listed a few days we will observe as a church throughout the year, such as the season of Lent, as we are going to focus on today. But I also mentioned other days we will observe, such as Epiphany, Transfiguration, Ascension, and Reformation Sundays. And just like Lent, these additional days of remembrance are not in any way holy or sacred days. Let me be clear here. These days and the remaining days of remembrance we will observe each year as a church are all people-crafted and are nothing God has sanctioned, including the popular ones like Christmas and Easter. And based on that, these days and weeks in the life of the church's liturgical calendar must be kept in proper context at all times. So why then, as a church, would we engage in nothing more than history and tradition and liturgy and days and weeks that are not even biblical? Nothing God ever asked us to even participate in? And the answer to that, again, we as a church are not observing any one of these days and weeks as sacred or holy. These days are like any other day. But that being said, many of these days that have been used by the church, some for centuries, do indeed provide an opportunity for us as a tool to refocus on God in a way we might not do without having been given a direction, a plan of what it is we are to do or focus on. These days are like analogies or parables that, although the analogy or parable is nothing special in its own right, it can and often does become useful if we apply it to the reality of our lives. Furthermore, most people need direction. Most people like to be given direction and like, as we mentioned earlier, to have something they can accomplish. We like things that result in something tangible, and most often we would like that tangible thing to be a good and worthwhile reward. Do you think that sounds completely selfish, though? Is this something a true Christian would never think about in the context of God and how you would go about participating in worship, seeking some reward or prize for doing something for the Lord? And I do hope that is not how you think, because if it is, you are missing out on the best part of fellowship and worship. I say this because everyone who goes to church does want up front a specific start time and end time for the service. In fact, people get really antsy and start looking at their watches and start murmuring with one another if the service or message goes way over the expected time. Yes, you want a start and end time, and you want it to meet the expectations of what has been set out for you, and you want a prize at the end. And that prize you want at the end is to feel good, uplifted, empowered by God's Word, and so on, and to end as you were told it would. And all of us know that's true. And all of us know that's true because we won't very likely stay at a church that doesn't stay on schedule and on track and delivering something at the end, a reward. But is desiring this from our time of worship, participating in it for a reason, for a goal, for a prize at the conclusion, whether public or private, is that wrong? Well, for the wrong reasons, yes, it's wrong. And for the right reasons, it's perfectly right. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. That's very clear that we are called to run the race of life. Everything we do with the goal of getting to the end and being the one to win the prize. And here, 
Paul uses a fantastic analogy every one of us can understand with ease. How about Romans 10, 9? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, very clear. If you do the following, you will get the following and that of a prize, a reward in this case that is incomprehensible. James 4, 7 keeps going. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. What's the reward? He will flee from you. Another amazing outcome when you pursue it and follow through to the end God gives you a great reward. Let's look at a few more. Matthew 7, 7, ask the reward and it will be given to you. Seek and the reward will be, you will find. Knock and the reward will be, the door will be opened. More actions with awesome rewards. Last one, James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Stand fast under trial, and the reward will be the crown of life. It's right to pursue righteousness, godliness, goodness, and we should expect to receive our crown in the end, and that because God said we would. And that, at the very least for me, makes everything in life completely worth the journey, because God says it's okay to expect something from the work that we do in His name. Let's be very honest here. If you had no idea of what the end of life had to offer and no idea of the promise, the prize of salvation, you would not pursue God. With every passage here that we just read, we know that God understands us very well. He knows exactly what we enjoy and need to persevere. People need clear goals set out for them. We need a definitive start and a definitive end. And God clearly knows we need something to look forward to at the end. And so he not only gives us a prize, but a crown, a life in perfection, an eternal communion with Him. And this is so very important to understand because it is the very same reason we utilize various days and weeks, or seasons, however you choose to categorize them, of remembrance to set us on a journey. It gives us a specific start and a specific end on something to focus on, and something to go through, and something to complete, and something to look forward to, because if done for the right reasons is exceptionally rewarding. Now let's apply all of this to how we as a church will recognize Lent, and for that matter, all of the days and weeks we will recognize throughout the year on our liturgical calendar. I'll preface by saying since there are no rules or regulations surrounding these days as it pertains to God, we as a church are going to use these times to do our very best to thoroughly honor God in our observance of them. So the tradition of Lent beginning around 325 AD, was started as a time of preparation for the coming days of remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. This time of remembrance includes a total of 40 days of preparation, which coincides with the 40 days and nights Jesus spent fasting in the desert. And so it is today we set aside 40 days in advance of our recognition and remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Traditionally, Lent has three pillars, which are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and almsgiving being giving to those in need. As current tradition stands, Lent is also a time of not eating any kind of animal products and other strict fasting rules for the 40 days, and also deciding on one or two things you wish to give up, sadly, just temporarily for that 40 days. For Peaks, however, is going to observe this season of Lent slightly different. And the main difference will be that none of the historical traditions I just presented 
are required. Again, God has not imposed one single restriction or requirement on any part of this time of preparation and remembrance. This isn't a magical time to give more or less, eat or not eat, pray or not pray, or give something up temporarily. How you spend the next 40 days is between you and God. It is a time for you to decide what is best for you and how to grow your relationship with God during this time, and how you, through prayer, will prepare for all He has done. And our reward at the end, if we are sincere with the Lord for making this time of remembrance both privately and together in fellowship, we will receive a reward of incredible joy and a time of renewal and understanding of the awesomeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that leads to the joy and renewal of our hearts and minds, of the prize still to come, and that of eternal glory. So here's what I recommend you consider over these next days. First, engage with God in a way you may never have before in your prayer life. Double-check, triple-check yourself to make sure that when you go to God in prayer that you are being 100% honest with every word you utter to Him. Work on that for the next 40 days. Tell God how you feel. Don't be afraid to talk to your Heavenly Father honestly. Ask, seek, knock. Ask God to show you all the many rewards He has in store for you when you have finished the race, the race of this life on earth, and the current rewards He so desires to give you. Pray for yourself. In my many counseling years, I have learned this is a very difficult thing for many people to feel like they can do honestly without offending God. Be assured of this. Nowhere in Scripture does God tell us that we cannot pray for ourselves and ask Him for personal help. And this is fact and demonstrated by Jesus here in Matthew 26, 39. It says, And going a little farther, Jesus fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed for himself, and we hear the desire and the pain resonating from his emotions in this prayer. Jesus asked for personal help, and that is exactly what we are to do as well. In that, pray that God will change you before you ask him to change others. Don't ask God to make everyone around you right, because that way you will be able to change. And should you choose to pray like that, it will not work. For that, let's take a look at Matthew 7, 5. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And of course, you do pray for others. Petition God on behalf of others who are struggling and suffering, those who are having successes, failures, and for those we hate. Next, if you believe that a time of fasting is beneficial and you are able to fast with proper motives and you have taken all of your reasons for fasting up with God, then by all means, fast. But don't forget, there are rules for fasting, and those rules are from God. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will do what? Reward you. You see, when we set the religious ground rules, people, they always include letting everyone else know how holy and good and God-honoring we think we are. Our rules are often very arbitrary. Don't eat this at this time. Don't do this at this time. Give this up. Don't give this up. And it all boils down in the end to being very self-serving. 
But when God sets the ground rules, they come with completely different standards. And that eliminates us from the picture entirely. And so it is we set ourselves apart from the world and apart from people and primarily focus on the prize, the reward, God. So fasting in the godly sense is not just about withholding food from yourself. It is rather a time to focus in ways we wouldn't otherwise on the Lord. It is a time to remember by not having all that God provides to sustain us without our involvement. Matthew 4.4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see here the very idea, it is not the tangible food that solely sustains us, but the word of God. So should you choose to fast, that becomes the time to rely solely on God for sustaining you. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, don't fast for the sake of doing something out of a ritual or think you are somehow cleansing your body of wrong. Rather, get right with God and know why and for whom you are setting this time aside to withhold food. Know, too, that if you are unable to fast or even if you can or do fast, There are many other things to observe, such as fasting from things in your life that you know you should not be relying on. Things such as your dietary habits, alcohol, tobacco, pills, ego, pride, anger, hatred, and the list goes on. And when we journey to the end in our time of withholding, in honesty, we will be filled up beyond comparison and satisfied in our Lord. We obviously need to eat and stay hydrated, but in fasting, our goal Our true hope must be that we are working toward the abandonment of self and growing closer to God. If we just fast and go right back to what we did before, we have served no purpose other than to kid ourselves. As for giving of alms, again, which is an offering, a contribution, a donation given to those in need, it too must be done with a very clean and sober motive. It must be given from the heart and not forced in any way. Let's take a look at Luke eleven thirty-seven through 41. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash first before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus points out for us here that it is evidently easy to give with unpure motives. It is easy to look like we are really sincere on the outside, while inwardly we are full of it. But if we give as alms those things that are within, it is given with humility, honesty, and motives. And once again, we will receive the reward. Matthew 6, 1, 4, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And remember, this too is between you and God. 
not others telling you what to do. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 9, 5-7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Important to note here, giving to the poor, even if you are doing it in secret and don't tell anyone and do it all with a very honest and sincere heart, does not mean you should not be aware of who you support. I see many people giving random amounts of cash to homeless people on the street corner. Having spent 17 years with many who have lived on the streets, the money is seldom used for food. Rather, it is used for their next high, and this is directly from the mouths of the very ones holding the cardboard sign you hand money to. And many who stand at the street corners are excellent at marketing because they know exactly how to yank the heartstrings of many by suggesting God will bless you for giving them money. Keep in mind, there are many ways to support the needy. Many organizations who have exactly what it takes to properly serve those who are truly in need and those who truly desire help. Giving and supporting is not about being a hero. Rather, it is about doing what is best and honest and with right motives and all between, again, you and God. So what does the 40 days of Lent look like at Four Peaks Christian Church? It is 40 days for you to engage with God in a way you have not this year or last year or maybe ever. It is also a time for those who regularly participate in this time of remembrance to reawaken their senses to what we have likely forgotten the year prior and once again prepare for what is to come at the end of these 40 days. And it is my sincere hope that the ministry of Four Peaks Christian Church is encouraging you and is helping you discover God in a more personal and real way in your life. If you are looking for a new church in the Phoenix, Arizona metro area, we invite you to visit our website for more information. Our website address, www.fourpeakschurch.com. In addition, we also invite you to visit our audio archives website at www.faceyourfaith.com, where you will find many additional messages to encourage, challenge, and equip you for a closer relationship with our Lord.